This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Go! Welcome to episode 16 of the Two-Headed Nerd. We're talking comics and news for the week of Wednesday, April 27th. It is a sunny Saturday morning and the birthday of Willie Nelson. The red-headed stranger. The red-headed stranger. And Turbo B from Snap. Happy birthday, boys. I don't know who that is. You better be careful because Turbo B will attack and you won't like that. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Matt Baum when I'm not ignoring the stupid royal wedding instead marveling at the Washington's Redskins' inability to make any kind of worthwhile first-round draft choice. I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. And when I'm not scratching my head wondering if Matt's talking about hockey or perhaps professional golf. It's football. I'm the artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. Both of those things I mentioned will upset my wife, by the way. Folks, you are listening to the first and what will inevitably be a series of very special THN episodes where we sort through the mass destruction left behind by a crossover story. This week we'll be dissecting the fresh corpses of Age of X from Marvel and Brightest Day from DC, both of which ended last Wednesday, and we'll leap into our light cycles and slam your britches into our laser trail during the lightning round, consult the tea leaves in the bottom of Joe's cup for info on next week's comics, and shout from the top of our gleaming nerdy ivory towers to give you peasants some required reading suggestions. But before we get to demanding to see Dan DiDio's birth certificate to prove his American citizenship, let's talk about this week's big news. Speaking of U.S. citizenship, in the pages of Action Comics 900, specifically in the backup story by film writer and director David Goyer, who directed the really crappy Blade 3. Anyway, Superman, after supporting a nonviolent protest in Tehran, informs the U.S. president's national security advisor that he'll be renouncing his U.S. citizenship to continue working as a superhero on a global level rather than national. Of course, Fox News was quick to jump on the quote-unquote scandal, quoting GOP activist Angie Meyer as saying, Superman's current creators are belittling the United States as a whole, and DC's own Ethan Van Skyver was quick to join the chorus asking for fans to start a letter-writing campaign to reverse the decision. Matt, are you ready to fire up the blackboard Glenn Beck style and explain what the freedom-hating liberal conspirators at DC are really doing? Superman wears an S on his chest. And I think we all know that S is for socialism. This is not a story. It's just completely ridiculous. And I love that people get upset when someone says they want to do something for the good of the whole planet. <laughs> yes. First of all, Superman's an alien. He was not born in the United States. That's right. <laughs> Superman was granted honorary national citizenship. And I think it was a story that happened in the 60s. I think it was President Kennedy. <laughs> the identity of Clark Kent is still a U.S. citizen. This is just Superman saying he can't have his actions construed as U.S. policy. Yeah, this is not Superman hates America. This is Superman does not necessarily represent the military and is here to help these people, these powerless well, people. That's what Superman does. Another way to look at it is Superman doesn't want to show up and have it look like U.S. is declaring war. Yeah, if <laughs> anything, he's saying, look, if what I'm doing makes the U.S. look bad, I'll back off. I'm going to say, look, I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm just Superman. Superman loves America. Yeah, let's go back to screaming at the J. Crew lady for painting her kids' toenails. In Hollywood news, Law & Order is planning an episode based on Julie Timor's Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, in which a superhero-themed musical turns deadly. And Warner Brothers announced that they're adding another $9 million to Green Lantern's effects budget with just six weeks before the film's release. Matt. Are either of these headlines or both of these headlines a joke? Law & Order's pluck stuff out of the news. 
for ripped from the headlines. Yeah, constantly, and I love it. And I just hope they can get the rights to Spider Man because that would be awesome. They're not going to do Spider. Um, as far as Green Lantern goes, when are they going to finish this movie? This is becoming <laughs> a punchline. This is like every week we get another. It almost seems like. To me, that DC saw the Captain America – not necessarily DC, but Warner Brothers saw the Captain America and Thor trailers and they went, oh, crap. We've got to make this movie good. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they keep going back and doing more and more and more to it. And it, maybe it is going to be great and maybe they're just making – maybe $9 million make the effects sexier is good news for everybody. But – Man, am I worried about this? I'm not worried. I mean, part of me, part of me thinks, yeah, it's weird, but I, I have to think that work gets done on movies like right up until the point of release. Maybe it's, it just sounds weird because we're not used to hearing about it. I mean, now at least they're not reshooting a lot of stuff. At least we're not hearing that like, oh, they're reshooting the end because it sucks. Right? They're not like throwing out chunks of the movie. They're just taking what's there and tarting it up a bit. Tarting it up a bit. <laughs> Don't forget, kids, next week is free comic book day, so make sure and get to your local comic shop and get your giant pile of free goodies. That's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or one that we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where Joe and I have posted our script for Fast Five, wherein Paul Walker and Vin Diesel realize they're tricked-out import tuner cars were really just vehicles for their own denial, for their passionate and forbidden love for one another. <laughs> I like to call it 252 Furious. <laughs> now it's time for the very first special No Holds Barred Tag Team Crossover Review. We begin today's two-card bout with the two-headed nerd versus Marvel's Age of X. Now keep in mind, kids, these reviews are going to be spoiler heavy. There's just no way to talk about these crossovers without ruining the story for everyone. So if it- you don't want to know what happens, press skip now. Age of X was written by <laughs> Mike Carey with art by Clay Mann and Steve Kurth from Marvel Comics. This was a crossover that ran through X-Men Legacy and New Mutants and uh, began in Age of X Alpha just two short months ago and ended this last Wednesday in New Mutants number 24. Once again, the X-Men found themselves in a near-future timeline where everything we know as readers is slightly different. In this timeline, Phoenix manifested in a young mutant named Jean Grey and leveled the city of Albany, New York. The U.S. government responded by creating a new type of sentinel that's more like a giant robot armor called an Exonym and, led by General Graydon Creed, sets out on a mutant extermination program called the Decimation. Now the mutant population has been reduced to a handful of X-Men and led to their last bastion, Fortress X, by their leader, Magneto. Fortress X is under siege daily by Creed and his Exonym forces and has been for a thousand days when the story begins. A group of mutants called the Force Warriors project a protective field around the fortress to hold back the human troops and subsequently block out the rest of the world. During the siege, we get to see Cannonball, Magneto's first-in-command, leading a group of recognizable B-list X-Men, while A-listers like Wolverine are reduced to bartender status. Rogue has become a character called Legacy, and her duty is to collect the memories, personalities, and powers of the mutants that fell during the routine daily sieges. Now, when Shadowcat returns from a mission into the outside world, Legacy finds a camera she took a bunch of pictures with, and all the pictures are blank. After using the abilities that she absorbed from Madison Jeffries, who we see fall in one of the siege attempts, Legacy makes contact with a very special prisoner in the Fortress X brig, and more and more Spoiler facts. Spoiler alert, he's uh, a baldo. <laughs> 
more and more facts about the Age of X world begin to unravel. So ultimately what happens, and again, spoilers, it is revealed that through the course of Dr. Nemesis deleting the evil personalities in Legion's mind, that mind has created a substitute personality. We're going to call it a psychic antibody. A psychic antibody. For the sake of discussion. And that antibody has altered reality around the X-Men. It's never really explained if it's the entire world like or the Like it kind of seems whole... like it's probably just utopia. Well, there's, you know, there's a, a thing where Rogue finds a box where they are holding the entire rest of the universe. Yeah. And they reveal that there is nothing outside of the force field. That's why Kitty Pride came back with a blank camera. And that's why the stars don't look right and stuff yeah. like that. It's basically a slap shot, rushed together, fake world created by this antibody. And within this reality, it has lifted Legion up as a, a hero, a savior. It was like a last-ditch effort to protect the, the – What's lo- left of his mind. And this antibody has posed as the long-dead Moira McTaggart. But within the world of Age of X, Moira is a mother figure, uh, a protector to Legion. You know, he she is who he goes to, you know, at the end of his long day. And after Rogue discovers Professor X in the brig, one of the psychics who are locked down because they could figure out what's going on, they figure out that Moira McTaggart's character, the psychic antibody, is egging Legion on in keeping up this hoax, this illusion to protect him. Right. Where it at least thinks it's protecting him. I liked the look and the feel of this story. I liked how the artists stuck. They, they really stripped everything down. It wasn't a big, sexy-looking X-book. It looked stripped down. They looked desperate. They looked post-apocalyptic. They looked very Road Warrior-esque okay. with the people that were trapped in the town. I'm going to interject there. I don't like the character designs at all for this story. I get that they're you know limited resources, that they're desperate. But some of the – like we've got the Hellion character – walking around with his hovering robot arms, which you'd think would be corrected in the new reality. Uh, He's also walking around shirtless with hip hugger pants. Oh, so now you don't like sexy? (laughs) No, there were some – I agree. And there were some questions there like why do certain things look the way they are? Like why is Cyclops wearing basilisks? A basilisk mask or whatever. <laughs> basilisk. Calling himself basilisk or basilisk. Well, and I understand part of it is that there is a false history there and we don't know the whole history. But like why is Frenzy there? I mean it's some of this starts to feel like a vehicle just to move these books on to the next step. That could be. But uh, to be fair, I'm not 100% sure whether or not Frenzy has been shown as living on Utopia. That's true. I know that they have invited you know previous – enemies to come live with them. I like that there's a lot of B-list X characters here that we don't normally get to see, and we get to see them in action. Some of them I I don't even remember. It's true. it does feel kind of shoehorned with some of the characters. Like, I don't understand what connection, if Legion is the key to this whole storyline, and he created this universe, why are some of those characters there? Why are some of those characters acting the way they are? Right. I mean, I understand Moira McTaggart is gently guiding him, but like the Cyclops thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The Wolverine thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean – Well, the Wolverine thing I can kind of understand if their intention was to kind of shuffle the more dangerous characters off the board. I suppose. But how would Wolverine have any chance of seeing through the – well, I guess he has a heightened senses. And well – 
like we said, he could smell it. He could be was, like, something stinks. <laughs> it, it was only it was a short storyline. Not all of it's fleshed out. A lot of that history is just going to be left unexplained. Some of it was explained in the Age of X universe two issue series. That kind of dealt with like what happened to the non mutant heroes. Yeah, the fall, and I really the, liked how Marvel did the the thing where you could scan the codes with your Android phone and you can get little blips of the Age of X false history and stuff like that before only it came out. With Android. That was a great idea. This was it this was a really fun idea for a story. I felt like it kind of fell down in execution as it went on. It does look like it's gonna lead to some more interesting stuff. Yeah, some, the books coming. some of the elements from the alternate reality were left behind. The unexplained Phoenix character is still there. Chamber has been restored to his former psychic furnace in the chest kind of. Yeah, they brought uh, back some interesting characters. I just like why is Chamber there? Why, why does Legion bring Chamber back? Well, they, were, they were there already. Uh, OK, they were on so Utopia. If he, they were on Utopia, they're in Age, Age of X. But I do agree that like why would – Legion's mind be bothering with creating a false history for the Avengers. Right. Uh, some of it's unexplained. Some of it doesn't necessarily make sense. For me, I thought the reveal of the villain as being Legion's splintered personality. You I wanted thought Proteus, that was weak. didn't you? You wanted Proteus. Uh, like I was really enjoying the story up to the point where they said it's another evil personality and of I Legion. Def- I defended it. I remember you came to me and said, eh, and I defended it until I read this last issue. And then I just – I feel like it did kind of fall apart in the end. Ultimately, I, I would give this a skim it. I would say that this was a – like I said, great idea, fell down in the execution. I agree. Skim it. X-Men. X-Men. Nice job. Magneto is over there. Follow me. Joe, you ready for round two? Your opponent stands 25 issues tall and packs the combined punch of Jeff Johns and Peter Tomasi on writing power and a host of your favorite DC artists. I ain't scared. Why don't you tag in, buddy, and let's put the hurt on Brightest Day. Okay. Brightest Day from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns and Pete Tomasi, art by Ivan Rice, Patrick Gleason, Scott Clark, Adrian Saif, and... Uh, their various anchors, etc. All your favorite Green Lantern artists. That's right. Uh, Joe Prado. I forgot him. In a nutshell, Brightest Day is the story of 12 heroes and villains that have found their lives restored by the White Lantern at the end of Blackest Night. Now, several of the of the 12 got farmed out to other titles. For example, Maxwell Lord went to Justice League Generation Lost. Jay Osiris went Justice to League, Titans. Like yeah. So Brightest Day proper focused on just a handful of characters, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, Deadman, and Firestorm. So let's talk, real quick, let's talk about where we were before it started with these characters. Like Aquaman, for example, had just reappeared at the end. So we didn't know much about where he was at all. He hooks up with Aqualad in this one. Right. We get introduced to uh, Jackson, who is the new Aqualad. He's the son of Black Manta. Then we've got Hawkman and Hawkgirl, who are just back together and happy for the first time. Uh, Their story revolves around them trying to break the curse that has constantly reincarnated them and kept them apart. We've got Deadman, who was just brought back to life and has no idea what to do with himself. He is the wielder of the White Ring. So he's the one the Lantern talks to. He's the he's the one that's kind of getting jerked around the most. And ultimately his story is He kind of weaves all these storylines together. Right. He is tasked with charging the White Lantern by living his life. He'd been dead for so long and so from the sheer act of living, like reconnecting with his family, falling in love, 
doing the things that he loved most. He's serving his purpose. He is empowering the White Lantern. You slowly see it start to say like charge levels 2%, you know, and it ticks up and ticks up until it reaches 100 and that's when it all hits the fan. We also see Ronnie Raymond and Jason Rush, which are your, your old and your new Firestorm. Right. They are thrown together. As a Black Lantern, Ronnie killed Jason's girlfriend, so Jason hates him. They are forced to kind of contend with... Like their mission is they have to learn to get together. Basically. And you've got the Martian Manhunter who is tasked with saving Mars or stopping uh, a renegade green Martian from basically causing all kinds of havoc. And I think it's more forgiving himself for the death of all of his people and stuff like that. Right. Like his own redemption comes into play. But we see all these stories intertwined. We have a domino effect that leads us ultimately to where the DC universe is going to be after Brightest Day. Right. Uh, Two issues ago... It was revealed that the avatar of death, the blackness that has corrupted the earth, is a necron-infected swamp thing, (laughs) which is – the words out of my mouth are the most awesome things ever. (laughs) So basically what you've got, the black, as they call it, has infected the green, which is the life force that keeps the earth living. And we need to reconnect Alec Holland, the man, with Swamp Thing, the green, to expel the black right. and save the earth. Uh, and it was fantastic. Yes. It was so well done. And it, once again, this is Jeff Johns reaching back into DC continuity, plucking out the good stuff, kind of trying to get rid of the confusing stuff and maybe ditching some of the lame stuff and fixing a lot of problems. This wasn't just a vehicle to bring the Swamp Thing back. although. Right. The perfect vehicle to do it. <laughs> really. Uh, I've got some points here. The dead man – of the multiple stories, I found the dead man uh, dove story was the by far my favorite. Yeah, really great. Um, I, I didn't care so much for the Hawkman, Hawkgirl story. It tied in with the Star Sapphires and Hawkworld and – It worked though. I mean it, it was OK. It, it, led them it was to the just right, OK. It led them to the right place. Right. Now in the end here, we don't have a Hawkgirl. We don't know what happened to her. Hawkgirl appears to be – at the climax of the story, the main characters were converted to elementals. After they all served their purpose and became who they needed to become, the White Lantern turned them into these elemental forces like Martian Manor became a force of Earth. Right. And the uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl became air spirits and right. Firestorm became fire. Personally, I'd be fine with Firestorm staying that way because that was <laughs> awesome. Uh, and when all is said and done, it appears that Hawkgirl stayed Like a windy. wind spirit yeah. or something. It's unclear. And that's what I liked about the finale is that it, it left a lot of things open. And I thought it did a great job setting up these characters for future stories. You've got – the drama of uh, Firestorm discovering that he's going to detonate. It sets up the Aquaman ongoing series. You have what happened to Hawkgirl. It, it uh, kind of brings some closure to the Martian Manhunter and kind of clean, cleans his slate so that he can be brought back. Which is good because I think the JLA without the Martian Manhunter just doesn't work. Right. And it does set up a status quo where Dead Man sadly – and that was the heart-wrenching thing. They did such a good job uh, showing Boston Brand out there living his life, falling in love, only to have it all yanked away. Spoiler alert, he gets killed. Yep. He, 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 alive man becomes dead man, he is, re-dead. He is dead, alive dead man. He's dead, dead man. But it seemed like people could hear him at least, which is new. Yeah, he he's not just a ghost alone. anymore. He doesn't have to possess bodies. He's, it, this is what Jeff Johns does, and he's, he's continually done it. In all his big events, he sets us up. For this huge slam-bang battle and 
leaves the story with a good conclusion but open enough so that we can move forward from here rather than a lot of events where the event comes. The event is the biggest, worst thing that's ever happened and then it's over and everything goes back to exactly, exactly the same the way, way it was. It. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Johns is really good at setting up a new continuity for us and that's what Brightest Day did. Brightest Day, in my opinion, the best long event that they have – I mean it wasn't a weekly book like 52 and some of the others – but this is I think we can count it though in that same I, I would definitely yeah this is it was a maxi series and it was a book to tie together the rest of the DCU but it has made the DCU exciting again it brought the swamp thing back it did an excellent story of humanizing these characters who have gotten lost in a lot of bad continuity and some bad writing and bringing them back to a place where we all want to read about them. I'm really excited for what comes next. Agreed. Uh, some final thoughts, though, about the last issue. Uh, overall, the series had great art, uh, unlike most week, uh, some of the weekly events where you would have one really great artist and one terrible artist and one mediocre artist rotating. In the final issue, though, there were some art missteps, uh, especially in the big spreads where the Holland Swamp Thing fights the Necron Swamp Thing. The art is definitely – it's very clear that the art switches from yeah. Ivan Rice to somebody else and it suffers. It hit a wall. <laughs> the backgrounds go away. It's just like a blank blue background and it's it really takes away from you know what should be a high-impact critical blow. Other than that though, I loved it. I thought the book was beautiful. It sets up future stories. I'm excited for what comes next and without spoiling it, how about that ending? <laughs> oh, man. Best last page ever. Ever. Yeah, it, it was really, really great. I'm going to come right out and say this. No hyperbole. This is the best DC Maxi series I've ever read. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm excited for where the DCU goes next to this. I'm giving Brightest Day a gigantic buy it. I absolutely agree. I am really excited for what's about to come next in DC. Buy it. It's that time again, kids. Put on your skin-tight black light suits, grab onto the glowing steering wheel floating in front of you, hunker down into your light cycle, and crank up the Daft Punk. It's time for the lightning round. <laughs> Godzilla, Kingdom of Monsters number two. I love it. I love this book. Anguilla shows up. It's awesome. I love this. Thank you, Phil Hester. Thank you for this. The Strange Case of Mr. Hyde, number one. Really, really good. Uh, I wasn't expecting too much out of it for whatever reason, but I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I saw good things on the net about this one. Uh, Secret Avengers, 12.1. Nick Spencer's first issue in Secret Avengers, really well written. This looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm glad Diodato's not on the book anymore. Me too. Buy it. Mighty Thor, number one. Oh, this is a beautiful book. I I really am enjoying the Matt Fraction super science fiction-y superhero-y take. Yeah, bridging the gap between the two Thors, basically. I love it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice uh, change of pace from, like, the high fantasy Thor. I really love it. Buy it. Planet of the Apes, number one. This is my pleasant surprise of the week. I loved it. It was really well written. It ties into the old Planet of the Apes stuff. Strong buy it. Justice League, Generation Lost, number 24. Oh, man. Uh, this ran concurrent with Brightest Day, and it was really great. Really, was, really good. This should have been the Justice League book. This yeah. should have been Justice League of America. Period. I agree. And speaking of great endings, that last page gave me giggly goosebumps. Buy it. Venom, number two. This is the best artwork I've ever seen from Tony Moore. He is, he is working so far above where he used to be. I love when Craven is written as a badass. Love this issue. He's so Strong crazy. buy it. Lock and key, keys of the kingdom number six. Every time this book comes out, I, I stop what I'm doing in real. I still haven't read any. It's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know what's wrong. It's just uh, this great long form 
horror story by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. This is like the fourth volume, the final issue of the fourth volume, and it's not boring yet, and I still can't wait to find out what happens next. Buy it. Tomb of Dracula presents Throne of Blood. Uh, for months now, Marvel has been swearing that they're going to change vampires and update them and, and shake up the Marvel Universe, and, and you've never seen vampires like this. They didn't do it here. Uh, it's Samurai <laughs> Story with vampires. Believe it. The mission, number three. Oh, man, this book just keeps getting better. We're to the point now where the main character is really starting to doubt whether or not he is sane by it. Raccoon, that is your lightning round. Stavos! Now let's take a quick look at some books we're excited for coming next week, Wednesday, May 4th. Joe. I have to say I'm intrigued by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev's Moon Knight number one. Better be good. They've been teasing me with Moon Knight relaunches for how many years now? I, I think it's a stretch to say that I'm really excited for it. It's more curious. And next week's such a light week that this is the one that jumped out. It's it's Moon Knight with uh, – it's back to Moon Knight being super crazy with multiple personalities. Yeah. But the multiple personalities each represent Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine. It's going to be weird. I don't know what, how that's going to work. I hope it's great. I, I demand high quality on my Batman knockoff at Marvel. <laughs> Matt, what about you? I'm super excited, and I've already read it. It's the Fred Van Lente, Hefty Paolo, Taskmaster trade paperback that's coming out. Good job on that name, buddy. Thank you. I feel like I'm getting better every day. If you read this, then you already know. It was fantastic. If you haven't read it, it's going to be really hard to find the back issues. This is your chance to read the best Taskmaster story I've ever written. They fleshed out this character into some one of the most interesting, not so much villain, but maybe victim of his own memory loss. This is just a fantastic and beautifully illustrated book. You really can't go wrong with this one. Well, it's the last week of the month, and that means it's time for the two-headed nerd to play comic pharmacist and prescribe some reading medication to one lucky patient. We're your push man. <laughs> this week's trembling junkie is Ryan. He asks us via Facebook, are there any good series from the 80s or 90s that I missed out on and just have to read? Joe? Absolutely. There's a million. Yeah, yeah. We're going to pick two today. Yeah, we're going to narrow it down. Uh, if you're talking about overlooked series from the 90s that poke through the the haze of shoulder pads and uh, spiked guns and blood Ch- chains and mullets uh, blood themed code names you have to go with hitman uh, a series that ran for 60 issues uh, it was written by Garth Ennis and the entire series was drawn well with a few exceptions but it was drawn by John McCrae and it is of all things a spin-off of the bloodlines crossover <laughs> It is the best thing to come out of that stupid story. <laughs> so don't read the Bloodlines crossover, yeah. but read Hitman. Uh, it's the story of Tommy Monahan, a, a, a just a simple hitman that is bitten by a, an alien parasite and who wakes up with X-ray vision and telepathy, <laughs> and he uses that uh, to comical effect. And it was a great story to help him kill people. Well, yeah, <laughs> for money. But it was dramatic and funny, and just the characters, the cast of characters. There's a guy was named Dog Welder. Dog Welder. <laughs> it's an outstanding series that uh, people loved. It's a cult favorite, but it, you know, it ended. He had to end the book on his own terms rather than let it get canceled. 
And it's a series that deserves wider recognition. Uh, I definitely recommend Hitman. I'm going to go back to the ladies' early 90s for Alan Moore's Captain Britain. And I didn't... That was the early 80s. Yeah. Was it? Yes. And you know what? I didn't read it until it came out in trade format. Yeah, because early I didn't 80s. have those issues. And they're nearly impossible to find. I never gave a lot of the Marvel UK stuff a lot of chances because it just didn't do anything for me. I, I was sort of – I just never got it. it was, you didn't – you weren't interested in Hell's Angel? Or Clandestine. Or Digitech. Or Death's Head. Wow, we just – that was like an avalanche of Marvel. I, you know I do love Clandestine. <laughs> Whatever. I never really got into the Marvel UK but somebody – and I, I think it was a guy that worked at Cosmic Comics back in the day threw that, that trade paper back at me. And I fell in love with Captain Britain. Alan Moore, as we all know, is a legend. His superhero stuff back in the 80s was fantastic. wizard legend. And this was his, like, open love letter to the Marvel UK characters. And, and it sort of, like, spun out into Excalibur afterwards, which I also really enjoyed. <laughs> but, oh, man, you got to check out Alan Moore's Captain Britain. It, you'll have a, an appreciation of that character that you didn't even know you had in you. Thanks a lot for the question, Ryan. As always, if you need some required reading suggestions, head on over to www.twoheadednerd.com where you can find the contact us links and you can send us an email anytime asking us for some required reading and make sure to check out the site because we got big changes coming next month kids oh man you're not gonna know what to do big changes this show has gotten downright boring so we're gonna inject some liquid excitement into our veins sort of break it break it down like this that's it for the two-headed nerd comic cast this week if you can't get enough of our filthy liberally slanted propaganda check us out on itunes where your ratings and reviews are the only thing that keeps joe and i from renouncing our american citizenship as always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find our Twitter handles and links to our buddies' nerdy projects like Signed In, a bi-weekly Xbox 360 podcast hosted by our pals Jeremy, Sean, and Craig. I hope those guys get free video games, because I can't, I can't believe how much stuff they play. I know. You can all, when do we start getting free stuff? If that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, what did you think about the last page of Brightest Day? And what does the reveal mean for the DC Universe moving forward? Yeah, we're not going to spoil everything for you here, but it was crazy. Uh, so good. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Kevin Coffey, a writer for our local fish wrap, the Omaha World Herald. Kevin quoted the two-headed nerd in a recent story about fear itself. Word to you, Kevin, because not all the news is bad news. And until next time, true believers, this is the two-headed nerd signing off. Goodbye.